You're listening to Rock Shop Live, brought to you by Stuart Travel Guitars. See the incredible stowaway travel guitar at stewartguitars.com. Microphones for Rock Shop Live are provided by Rode Microphones. Now for Music Gear Network, here's your host, guitarist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, happy Friday to you and welcome to the weekend. It's nice to finally be here. It was a long week for a lot of people, myself included, but it's that time where we can kick back and warm up the weekend for you. We're very happily joined this evening by Gretchen Mann, guitarist Gretchen Mann. We're happy to have you here. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's nice. We're gonna, we have such a full agenda tonight. I think we're going to probably be trimming it down because it was very easy writing this one tonight. Just reading about your bio, some of the passions that you have, the extracurricular things that you do. Uh, it's it's nice when there's so much to talk about. We can actually, you know, it's when sometimes it's hard when you're scrambling for content, right? But we've got so much to talk about tonight. You're going to share some riffs with us later on in the program. All kinds of fun stuff. So we're really looking forward to uh, this discussion. Before we jump over uh, into the into that discussion, I want to say hi to a bunch of your fans that are watching this evening and some of our regulars as well, too, that are here to support you. Uh, Rob Grodin is here. Scott Connor is here. Uh, Ibanez G1 or something like that. I can't make it out very well is here. Mark Taylor. Brad Miller. Six String Bryant is here. Uh, Chicken Guitarist is here. Our beautiful Butterfly and Ladybug show. Uh, that's my better half, Sandra. She'll be sharing your links throughout the program tonight. Oh, to all cool. Your, right on. Yeah, Thank to all you. your properties. Uh, Scott Roos, I might have mentioned Scott already. Uh, continue on. Louis uh, Valreal is here. Says, hello, everyone. Uh, continuing on. Sean Close is here. Matt Krill. Uh, Gary Holt is here. I'm going on the very bottom. Come back up. Carl Santon is here. Uh, see if I miss anybody else. Ed B is here. Evening, everyone. Ladybug herself is here. And I think I may have got everybody up to date so far. If I miss anybody, I apologize. So first of all, too, before we jump into the questions, uh, if you have any questions for uh, for Gretchen, you can tag either myself, Music Gear Network, or you can tag Butterfly and Ladybug Show, and we'll get those funneled to us. We already have a super chat from Gary Holt. Thank you so very much, Gary. Uh, Guitar Hack is here as well, too. Thank you so very, very much. So let's jump in and warm up with something that's very recent that just happened uh, mm-hmm. you know, as of late. You've had um, a fun little kind of a mini tour for now, and I think it maybe mm-hmm. might grow later. Uh, but with our good friend Jennifer Batten and Nilly Broch, tell us a little bit about that and what that was like. Oh, it was it was amazing. Um, Neely and I have been friends for years now. Um, we met each other just because we had enc- we kept encountering each other on like lists and polls and things. You know, I guess if you're a serious and disciplined guitar player, you kind of get clumped with other serious and disciplined guitar players if you happen to be the same gender. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I was aware of her. I checked her stuff out, and she was so amazing that I think the first video I saw of hers, I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> like I suck." And um, so, rather than you know just sit here and quietly hate myself, I just wrote her a message saying how impressed I was and how great she sounded, and she wrote back a really nice reply. And it's just a a lovely uh, reminder that friendship wins out over competition. So um, I've learned a lot from her as a person, as a player, and we've wanted to do shows together for a long time. And when this year kind of seemed to be the year we wanted to do it, we thought, okay, we should do some shows. And we thought, oh, it's instrumental guitar, original music. Maybe we should add a third person. And then we were both like, okay, well, first choice would be Jennifer. So we got to ask her first and then, you know, and then we'll compile a list. So we didn't even compile a list. We just asked Jennifer, and she miraculously was was into the idea. So, 
That's um, isn't yeah. she? Isn't she something? I mean, I, I she's know, the best. <laughs> I know Jennifer quite well, and I only knew uh, knew nearly through the show here. She's been on the show as well too. She's a delightful guest as well too, and so much you know valuable insight. Just not just guitar, but yeah. just the business. I mean, she's been through some crazy tours, and you know some of the theatrics she's done. Yeah. You know, with the uh, uh, the Cirque tours and stuff like that. But but Jennifer, uh, you know, she she come on the show a couple years back, and we've remained in really good touch ever since. Been good friends, and she's even suggested you know people to me here on the show should have so and so on the show. It's, it's been awesome. But I can see, I mean, to me, it reminded me of a of a Joe Satriani G three tour. You know, it was it was it was that kind of a feel to it. The super shredder, super talented musicians, and uh, I I really hope that we'll see more of this. You do you do you have? And this was a question I had later for you in the evening. Mm-hmm. But do you think we'll see more of this coming up in some time? I really hope so. Um, the reason that I I wanted to start with something that was small and manageable is until you really see how something goes in, you know, something can sound great in theory, but until you actually put it into practice, you really don't know what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And even though Neely's a good friend and Jennifer is a hero, I don't know what it's going to, how it's really going to be. Thought experiments get you so far. And so, and also trying to line up three busy schedules was no small feat as well. So we thought, you know, let's just test the waters. Let's see how this goes. Let's see if there really is enough musical variety, but also cohesive overlap to make this be something that we feel has musical value. And I know uh, the response we got was very encouraging. So I think we're very much excited to try to do more of these as much as we can. And two, the orchestration of, okay, for not only getting everyone's tour schedules together, if everyone's available, and then planning the, uh, you know, the, the tour, and then also arranging, okay, so we're going to do a group jam at the end, because you did that several times, right? Some group yeah, yeah. jams? So that, yeah. that's fun. That's fun as, as well, having everyone on the stage together, and, and just orchestrating all that out. Did you have much rehearsal time before? Zero. Zero. Well, I mean, together, zero. Right. Like, truly zero. Uh I think we were able to sound check part of one song. Oh boy. <laughs> and you pulled it off. That's great. Well, that shows the accomplished, the accomplished players that you all are. Well, I think if it were up to any of us, and actually it was validating to know that Jennifer also likes to run through stuff. I'm, I'm such a preparer and a practicer yeah. that I, I don't have a lot of confidence in like, Hey, just spontaneously be awesome. Now it's like, Oh my God, no, I gotta, I gotta work on it to maybe be able to pull it off. So, um, but you know, Jennifer and Neely are just such, jaw-dropping musicians and just even being able to look over at them it's like it's like guitar like a year's worth of guitar lessons just even taking in you know what what they'll do in one solo that's cool and and neely's doing the adult swim festival thing this weekend too right i know is that i know tonight? she just had a few things going on is that tonight or tomorrow I think it's tonight. Very cool yeah it, now I, I was just watching some of that stuff is brent fitz playing drums for that Ooh. Uh, not I'm, sure. Sure. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I, I think he is. No, it's okay. I'm sorry. I, you know, there's so much stuff that I feel like I just live under a rock sometimes. <laughs> well, you have your own busy schedule as well too. But I think I saw a picture with her and and Brent. We follow Brent very closely. Okay. We we like his work as well too. Obviously with Slash and Gene Simmons oh, yeah. and and uh, Bruce uh, Kulick and all those people, right? But so that's a very cool gig for her. I saw her yeah. uh, grinning ear to ear uh, doing that festival. So that's gonna be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Sure, Wicked. Sure. A couple other people jumping in just want to say hi before we forget, and I certainly don't want to uh, leave them behind. Uh, Oregon Steve is here. Uh, says, just getting in. How are you this Friday evening? Hello, all. Uh, also, Terry Himes is here, and Phil Mosley Music is here somewhere. I think someone's tagging him. Seventh Son is here. 
So this was something that totally blew my mind. You know, I mean, we're going to be talking all kinds of guitar, but I mean, we can, you know, we have to talk about some other things on the show here as well, too. Mm -hmm. And doing some research on you uh, through your website, which we'll be sharing the links. But your your background bio uh, blew me away when I found out that you have an aviation background. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And I want you to set us up and tell us what that aviation, I mean, some people like to fly hang gliders or drones. Talk about mm-hmm. what your background is. My background was actually very, uh, the decision was a capricious one. It was that I was a music major in college and I realized, I started noticing that a lot of musicians I knew were very jaded, and I realized that studying music was something that I was choosing to do, not because I thought it was a good financial decision or Mm -hmm. career path, but because it was what I was genuinely interested in learning more about. And so I thought, um, I had taken a few flight lessons just for fun because this is so kind of random, the random things in life. I had become obsessed with the Pink Floyd song, Learning to Fly. Nice. So I was like listening to it like on loop and then saw that there was a sign at, at um, on my college campus that said local the local airport had a student discount. It was like three flights for $99. And um, birth, my birthday is close to Christmas and I was like, oh, I'll get like some, I, I can use this like with my birthday Christmas money. Nice. And so I took a few flight lessons, thought, okay, that's super fun. I'd love to new, to learn more, you know, and I felt like it was serendipitous because like the seed of Pink Floyd had been planted <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> and, um, and it was fun, but then I thought, I'm a college student accumulating debt. Like I can't, I can't have like an expensive hobby. So Mm -hmm. I just sort of put it aside and I would go flying periodically when I would like come into, you know, like money somehow, like gifts or whatever. And so I would do it once in a while. And then I ended up uh, graduating a year early and kind of thinking, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back and get a master's in music and composition and study, continue to study classical guitar? And that's when circling back to the first point, I realized how many people I knew were really jaded in the music industry. Um, some professors, not all, mm-hmm. but that it seemed that um, a lot of people were sort of, I don't know, felt that they didn't get out of the music industry what they had hoped. And I thought, well, what if I just pursue music totally on my own terms? What if I accept the fact that what draws me to music is not what is commercially successful. And what if I don't worry about that? What if I say, look, if I can just get good at what I love to do, then if I have another job, another career, then that'll pay my rent and I can just play music, you know, from a kind of a pure place. Mm -hmm. And so I decided at that point, like, hey, I had this extra year of college that I had planned on that I had just sort of mentally assumed I was going to go into debt for. And realized that I could get all my pilot's licenses in a year for about the same as college tuition. Not not, not exactly, but about, about the same. Close, yeah. And I thought, well, I could, I could still in four years, I could have a music major and all of my pilot's licenses. So what, what I could not justify as an expensive hobby, I could justify as a strategic career move. So I did that. And you started flying commercial airlines. Yeah, that was totally not expected. I just uh, I put out my resume because at the time that I was flying, you know, other flight instructors would have their resumes to airlines for sometimes years before they'd get a call, and so it was a really long process. And 
there's a Mitch Hedberg joke that I always loved. We love Mitch. I love Mitch. Oh, we do. We do. It's like the one about baked potatoes that they take so long to cook that even if you don't want to bake potatoes, sometimes I'll just put one in the oven because by the time it's ready, who knows? (laughs) And so I... I was like, I don't want to be an airline pilot, but you know, by the time I get called by an airline, who knows? Like, I'll be a different person. But they called me really fast. Actually, I think I got a call like the week after I had put in my uh, my resume, and that was in part because I had very high multi-engine time. Um, the nice. guy I was dating at the time had a, a twin-engine plane that he had bought for his own training, and I was one of the few instructors who was a certified multi-engine instructor. So I had a lot of students that I could teach in that plane. And, um, and so I had high multi-engine time, which is high currency for Mm -hmm. airlines. So, um, so I got offered a job, uh, to fly a jet, which was like way nicer than anything I would have thought I could have been hired at with that amount of time. And so I I sort of thought, well, I don't really want to go to the airlines, but if somebody's going to pay me to learn how to fly a jet, that seems like something I should at least try out. Certainly. That's a handy life skill, right? So, um, so I did that and I did it for about a year. I think I was, um, well, to be honest, I was bored after a few months. It's very routine flying yeah. and as it should be, that's not a criticism to the airlines, yep. but I got into flying in part because I like roller coasters and I used to watch the blue angels and think it was super cool and I <laughs> wanted to be a stunt pilot. So flying straight and level with the autopilot on for hours and hours every yeah. day wasn't really what got me fired up about flying. So, um. So I realized I had what most everybody thought was a great job and an incredible gig, and I was sitting there occupying, literally sitting in the seat that was somebody's dream, and I was occupying somebody's dream wrongfully. So yeah. I needed to leave to free up that seat and to pursue something that was really my own. Well, that's cool. I mean, bottom line is having a good career. I mean, maybe that's a piece of advice maybe you can share with uh, aspiring musicians. We all have that dream of becoming you know, rich and successful, and it's even harder today than it ever was before. I mean, many, many artists that we look at today are all crowdfunded and self-sufficient, self-managing. They wear so many hats to have manager and promoter, all that kind of stuff. So I would assume that you'd probably agree that uh, a good education is a must follow your passion in music but please don't give up on your education well yeah I mean I think everybody's I'll only speak for myself because I think everybody's path is different and I and I some of the most brilliant people I know like barely got out of high school but you know it was just not their path and they're doing very well Mm -hmm. on their on their paths for me education was very important because um I feel like if nothing else it gave me the the tools to learn how to acquire new skills and new knowledge. I think one of the things that um, I feel sad that a lot of guitar players do is I think that they become intimidated by certain aspects of music, particularly things like music theory. Mm-hmm. They think it's some some sort of intellectual elitism that other musicians will kind of throw in their faces rather than just seeing it as just learning the rudiments of the language you love. You know, your brain conceptualizes whether you call it like a G major seven chord or whether you call it this particular shape. The point is that your your brain conceptualizes it in some way. So why not have it be in a way that allows you to communicate most freely with other musicians and partake of the vast array of educational materials out there? So I think the idea of it being somehow hard or obscure, I, I wish that that was something that we could dispel within the guitar culture. I know it's tough. And you always see some people, 
you know, uh, they watch their, and I'm not going to say heroes, they just watch other guitar players on YouTube and conscious and they, people that are much better than their skill set. And you mm-hmm. often see them say, that's it, I want to give up. You know, you watch Joe Satriani play or Steve Vai mm-hmm. or, or watch you play and be like, oh, I want to give up. But I really like it when you when I, I I've been there too. I've been on all sides of these fences. I'm like, oh, that's it. I want to go drive a cab now. I'm going to put my guitar away. But as I got older in life, I watched players like yourself and all the other accomplished guitar players out there. And I'm finding it now. Sure, it's like it's it's humbling. It puts you. It really brings you down. Like, whoa, these people are amazing. But at the same time, it's 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 happy. It's inviting too. If you could just learn one lick from that one person. That's why mm-hmm. I hate it when I just see people that want to just give up their instrument when they see someone better than themselves. Take something from it. Take yeah. the passion or or whatever it is and just find something yeah. and, and carry it on to the next, pass the torch kind of thing. I so agree. I feel like that when confronted with somebody who is who impresses us, mm-hmm. we can choose to be intimidated or we can choose to be inspired. It's the same impetus. And one is positive and one is negative. So why not take that and get inspired? Uh, every every accomplished musician I know has worked incredibly hard. I don't know, no matter how good somebody is. Mm-hmm. I don't know any, I mean, if anything, musical skills are a demonstration of your discipline. And so if you see somebody with major skills, don't, don't envy their skills. Learn from their discipline. Exactly. You know, and know that with the same amount of effort, you will have results that are also unique to you and that developing your own creative path and voice is something that as, that is as unique as you are unique as a human. I could not agree more. Every single guest I've had on here from guitar players to bass players to drummers to whoever, whatever their talent is, you know, you, you put these people on a pedestal and you think they're one of the greatest rock gods out there and, and they've made their contributions and they are certainly uh, one of them. But then they say, oh, I love this person. You know, you just mentioned a name and they, they worship that person like we worship our heroes, like I worship Eddie Van Halen or you worship, you mm-hmm. know, Eric Johnson. We'll talk about that and things mm-hmm. like that and Led Zeppelin and all that kind of cool mm-hmm. stuff. But everyone has their hero. Mm-hmm. And multiple. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. It's very so very cool. Uh, we have a super chat as well, too, from Thomas Maynard, I believe. This one has mentioned his name here. He says, mm-hmm. woohoo, jumping in. Thos, thank you very much. This is probably a perfect time to circle back and say hi to some of the uh, other people just jumping in. VH 1984. Uh, he says, I agree with that. You have to you do the time to be good. You can't just phone it in, for sure. Uh, going backwards a little further, Rob Q, Gretchen Men Rocks. What a cool interview. Um, and Lewis says, she's one smart rock and cookie, for sure. That's what you got to have <laughs> yeah, some of that education is, is great. Uh, Philip is here. She's got the right stuff. Um, Brad Miller says, yes, a great guitarist pilot. Very cool. It's so funny, you know, like when we started talking about this, uh, Gretchen and I were talking off the air for a test call earlier. And I mean, you know, we all of us gather around to talk guitar and gear and stuff like that. But I was geeking out just because of the air aviation background. And I shared with Gretchen how I grew, I spent more time in the air then out of the year with my father being a uh, aircraft engineer and then being taught by a, a World War II Spitfire pilot to fly. So once I found out about the aviation, I was just like tickled pink mm. for sure. So hats <laughs> off to you on that. That's very, very good. Do you still fly well, any right? small planes or anything like that? I, I haven't in years. I, um, I had, I keep up my CFI. So every two years I renew it mm-hmm. and just cause I don't want to have to do that check right again, but I would need to get current again to actually be legal and safe. Uh, I got so busy doing music, which yeah. it's so funny. It's like you come up with a plan B and suddenly it really is the plan B. Uh, I do love flying, but 
I love music more. And I, you can't kind of fly. <laughs> I, I mean, know, it isn't I like know. you can, like I could play, I could kind of play the guitar. I could kind of play the piano sure. and it doesn't really you hurt anybody fly, all that no. much when I futz myself, but flying's kind of a different thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like you say you kind of drive and you, you hear all these horror stories of these people driving through the windows of the, of the CVS pharmacies and stuff like that because they're just kind yeah. of driving. You know, yeah, when, kind of driving, yeah. yeah. You're 95 you're kind years of old. all in for the flying thing. Yeah. You know, that, that, is, that is funny for sure. You, maybe this is something you could sympathize or kind of understand. When I fly as a passenger in a commercial jet, you know, it's usually flying to NAM or things like that. Um, oh. I am dead. Well, I, I can, I hide it from my boy. He's 13. So I try to hide it like, oh, dad's cool. I'm no problem here. But I am scared crapless in the air. But put really? me in a two, yeah, but put me in a two seater plane with behind the stick or the wheel, whichever the case may be. Um, I feel, I feel great probably because I feel like I'm now in control of the aircraft. Isn't that, do you find that weird? Or do you think maybe it is because I had control of the aircraft at the time? Oh, I don't know. I think, see, for me, I ha- I have a different experience. Okay. And it's usually that I'm calm, well, either calming down or annoyingly lecturing the people around me about the unequal heating of the earth's surface and what that does to air currents <laughs> and, you know, all of that stuff. They're like, oh my God, get me away from this woman. Um, no, I don't actually, I don't really have that, um, that feeling, but, but I do think that a lot of it for anybody comes down to control. I mean, people will, for, for example, choose to say smoke, which we, we, we know from health, you know, all the health studies and stuff, that's not good for you. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but people feel that they have more control over that. You know, um, I think the phobia of flying is greater than the phobia of smoking yet the phobia of smoking would be far more founded statistically. So I think it has to do with the relinquishment of control. Yeah, there you go. It's just one of those weird things, you know. It's, and I mean, I'm not to the point where like uh, uh, everyone's going to die, you know. We're you know that screaming in my head, yeah. I'm going to have to be you know kind of constrained, <laughs> you know. But it's just one of those things, and I'll be doing yeah. it again another uh, another few months, a couple months, going down the Nam again too. But I'm getting a little uh. bit, a little bit better, for sure. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your background. I mean, you had a uh, very, very intense kind of uh, classical background, studied everything from the major classical composers, and then going up to, you know, some of the rock and roll that, you know, people of my age and the newer, younger generation too, obviously discovering and maybe going back Mm -hmm. and rediscovering Frank Zappa, Led Mm -hmm. Zeppelin, taking Mm -hmm. all of that stuff um, and mixing it into like a stew pot. And how how do you think it's helped you develop your voice as a guitarist? Well, I definitely still feel like I, it's, um, I'm very much a work in progress, and I'm always trying to develop that voice. I mean, we're not, we're not the same person as we were the day before, and what we do musically should reflect that. At least that's what I think for mm-hmm. me. That's my goal. Uh, I think having a wide, just wide open ears and a wide open mind, the more stuff you take in, the more varied your influences, the more you'll be able to kind of Take that into your brain, let your brain and all of its unique connections process that, and mm-hmm. then what, what you come out will, with will, you know, hopefully be, um, you know, an authentic representation of what your musical tastes are. So, and there's so much to learn from so many different artists from genres, even genres that maybe aren't your first cup of tea. There's so much still to learn from them. So you can even take something from an artist that you don't particularly like or relate to and still learn very valuable lessons. Yeah. Well, this is something I talk a lot about on the show and I talk about youth and how youth has really introduced me to uh, genres that I would never listen to. My son is an example. He's 13. Do you have any um, 
any uh, like family members or like nieces or nephews or just family friends that are younger, like much younger, like we're talking a kid, young kids that, that have kind of mm. maybe swayed you to some music that maybe you wouldn't listen to or introduce you to some genres? Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that. My nephew's too young. He's not into music yet. He's really little. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I definitely, uh, I, so no, not at this present time, but I have a feeling that my nephew will in a couple of years. That's good. Because the, yeah. re- the reason why I say it, I mean, I was always a person who judged a lot of, like, I'm a rock and roll guy, 80s rock and roll mm-hmm. mainly. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, I like rock and roll, period. And mm-hmm. I don't tend to gravitate to a lot of other genres. And when I, when I was introduced to some of this pop stuff and... Uh, mm-hmm. And I would always judge it. Like I would never, even, if it came on the radio, I would turn the station. But when I started to analyze it, I mean, good songwriting is good songwriting, no matter what. No matter mm-hmm. what's going on, you start pulling back yeah. the layers. And I was like, wow, this is good. Like I, I mm-hmm. won't go through all the bands, but just all these different bands that I would never, ever listen to. And you're like, I mean, if I could write a song that good, I'd be thrilled. Who cares what the genre is? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it, it's very cool. I feel like there's that, that's actually, if there's anything that we can learn from people who are much younger, I, I mean, you think back to what your musical tastes were before you were a teenager, like when you were a kid, and you don't, or even as a teenager, you know, think about like, what kinds of things did you listen to? And it's like, I wouldn't, I didn't think twice about putting Pearl Jam on the same, you know, on it, like right after a Django Reinhardt and a Frank Zappa right. piece, you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, you know, it's like, okay, you're Pearl Jam, here's Nirvana, here's Faith No More, here's Django Reinhardt, here's Jennifer Batten, here's, you know, like, Steve Morse. Yeah. It's like, you don't even, I mean, like, you don't even think twice about it. So, to me, it was just good music was good music, and I think that if we can retain that openness to good music as opposed to get locked into, um, I think... I should know exactly what the study is, but somewhere I read that that we we tend to relate most to the music that we listen to up to the age of about twenty, early twenties or so, um, and that people's musical tastes after that don't really change all that much. And when I read that, I remember thinking like, "Wow, one, that's interesting, and two, that's disappointing." You know, don't we want to think that we can constantly be evolving? Not just, I mean. The idea is hopefully that we'll learn to enjoy more things, not fewer things. So I make it, um, I make a concerted effort, one, to listen to new stuff, and two, to support music. I feel like that's something that a lot of musicians rail against, you know, the state of the music industry, but then they never buy, they never buy albums, you know? It's like, you want, you want the industry to do well, be part of it. Like, I really try to buy an album, you know, if one of my friends releases an album, somebody I follow on Instagram, like, I don't stream it, I buy it. Exactly. Preferably from them if I can. So, um, even if I listen to it once, it's like, so what, it's $10 for like the efforts of their lifetime? I know, considering how much we waste, you know, I mean, like a Starbucks here and there, or, you know, a case of beer, or whatever the case may be, right? You know, frivolous money yeah. that sometimes we just throw away, and it's nice to support your friends. And and, and I mean, really, that mm-hmm. that ten dollars is not gonna you're not gonna miss it, right? I mean, and like name something where more effort has gone into the product that you're only getting charged ten or twenty bucks for. I Books, know. music. I know. If if the artist, I mean, especially if they're not selling a lot of them, I mean, if you're uh, counter like count up all their hours and their wage, they're making pennies. Right. You know. Oh for, yeah. 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 
but it is a labor of love for a lot of artists. A lot of people don't have the luxury of having, you know, uh, massive, you know, uh, record sales and, and Spotify spins and all that kind of stuff, you know. So they're doing it basically to communicate with the world. If a mm -hmm. few people hear it, awesome. If not, at least they've captured it maybe to save or preserve for family or future, that kind of thing yeah. too. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had a huge revelation um, when I discovered my grandmother's poetry. I, I always knew growing up that she was a poet. But I, I've gotten more into reading her poetry. She's she lived to be like ninety six, so nice. she's since passed on. But but I realized that we tend to think that doing music. I don't know if this is societal or personal or what. That that somehow there's something inherently selfish about doing that. And I was struck by just how grateful I was that my grandmother wrote poetry. That I can enjoy this part of her for the rest of my life, something that in a way was like one of the most beautiful parts of her, that, that I have that. And thinking about doing music, doing art, doing anything creative, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give to the people who love you. And, you know, whether, and, and whether or not you're, you, you measure up to your own standards of what you ultimately hope to achieve, that doesn't matter to your granddaughter, no. you know, who's, who's reading your stuff or listening to your stuff years after you've since passed on. And so I, I try to remember that because it's very easy to become consumed with self-loathing as a guitar player, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. to be to be looking at yourself in this way where you're in constant competition with what you believe your own potential is. And to see that as a, a place to which to strive, but not to be an obstacle to still producing something now, to not have to wait until you've reached some imaginary goal because that horizon's always receding. I you know, know. nobody's you ever like, I have arrived. Now I'm finally good. Yeah. And if they have, then they haven't, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's great talking about the poetry because, you know, now that your grandmother's passed on, you know, whether it be tomorrow or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, you could read that some of the poetry and you'll probably remember her voice just like you're sitting at the table with her. So that mm -hmm. lives on. Or if we're talking about music, maybe someone writes a composition, an album, whatever, several albums they've passed on, and you listen to that music, you're brought right back to that time again where it was family barbecues or whatever it was, however you remember yeah. those people. So yeah, yeah. It, art, artistic, and it could be painting too. You know, if it's sure. a painting, Anything. a particular thing, you know, uh, it, it always brings you back to that and it keeps this, the spirit and the voice alive, I think, of that particular individual and the family too. Absolutely. Yeah, very, Absolutely. very cool. A couple more comments over in the chat. This is really funny. I, I had to read it twice to catch it. Phil Mosley says, I thought Eric had an, I, you know, aviation background. He says an aviation, EVH, <laughs> aviation <laughs> background. So that's a good one. Love it. Uh, and David Stanaway says, I love the tutorial videos Gretchen does on the Zeppelin channel. Keeping oh. the music alive and uh, uh, sharing is awesome. We'll talk more about that as well, too. Some tutorials later on. Uh, James Severn is here. Ben Johnson's jumping in. Alex Radford is here saying hi to both of us. R2R3 Lockingnut is here, one of our moderators and good friends, helping out as always. Nice to see you here, buddy. Uh, let's see if there's any other questions, and I may or not may or may not see them. Scroll down a little further. Um... Scott Roos says, when I was writing songs back in the late 80s and early 90s, I just let it happen regardless of genre. It could be hard rock, country, or dance music. It didn't matter. I guess that's whatever comes out, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that in the creative process, the well, I think anything goes. I think there's a lot to be said for trying to write within a genre, and there's a lot to be said for trying to um, suspend labeling something within a genre as long as you can. 
I just think the more ways you can, the more ways you can create, the better. That's right. That's right. And Scott Connor has a good com- a comment here that I think will kind of uh, carry over to you. He says, I could easily spend all my money on books and music. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what literature that you're into, but I read somewhere that you're a big uh, book enthusiast. Is that correct? Yeah. What do, yeah. You, what do you like to read? What's on my coffee table now? Uh, <laughs> I've got, uh, I've got the daily. I, I always, I'm, I, I have, I'm, I'm always reading a lot of different things. So nice. I've got the Daily Stoic, which is more like little one paragraph. I've got On Tyranny. I've got Arnold Schoenberg's uh, Theory of Harmony. I've got uh, 16th Century Counterpoint. I've got uh, Orchestration. Man. I've got, um, I'm reading Pale Fire by Nabokov. I just finished a book on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nice. A little bit of um, all over the place. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Uh, I I, I usually try to have a balance between um, like novels. I'm listening to Moby Dick on audiobook. I just finished a biography of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Yeah, just anything and everything. If it's good, I'll read it. Nice. Well, I'm glad you mentioned audiobook because I I tend to do that sometimes too. Um, A lot of times if I'm on the road uh, and uh, because I don't read a lot, I tend if I read, I fall asleep. And very quickly, like within, the, I'll read a chapter, and not, I mean, the first couple of pages and I fall asleep. I don't know what it is. It's very relaxing. And mm-hmm. it's also not a good thing. I mean, it doesn't do it to me in the car, which is a good thing. I'm just going to say that to Ministry of Transport, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> I don't fall asleep driving, but I, I do like to listen to the audiobooks. It makes my uh-huh. trips quicker. So that's, yeah. do you do that often with several of them? Like if you want to, if you're maybe flying or, or I guess not flying, but it, do you tend yeah. to do audiobooks often? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I tend to, so for me, because I often don't sit still for much longer, well, basically practicing is as, is as still as I sit. Um, I tend to read like short things, things like the Daily Stoic or whatever. That's like a short little one page thing. So that's not really reading, reading, you know, it's like a more of a little daily um, reminders. Um, but like uh, when I'm exercising, I, I figured out in college that either I was going to get my school work done or stay in shape unless I could figure out how to multitask. So once I was able to read Shakespeare on the Stairmaster, I thought, okay, I'm going to be glad for the rest of my life that I can do this. So exercise time tends to be reading time for me. Um, and audiobooks are, yeah, what I'll do when I'm driving or, um, somehow not able. Actually, I do get a lot of, uh, book reading done on planes because I don't really sleep on planes very well. Just uncomfort, uncomfortable. You're not in control I have of the plane, to lie right? Down, so I don't know how people can just like sleep like this. Yeah, I know. You don't exactly <laughs> get the best, uh, you know, comfortable, and sometimes you don't get a chance to shut your legs out. Oh yeah, no. I think it's like negative sleep on planes. It's like if I sleep for 20 minutes, it's like like I subtracted that amount of sleep from what I actually did sleep during the night. So. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I think I feel worse usually. Yeah, then you get to your destination and you either you think you're going to maybe catch a quick nap and then you're unpacking and then you're getting ready for a sound check somewhere or some mm. kind of a press thing you got to do. So yeah. it's just continual <laughs> nerves. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm better off just kind of keeping the momentum going and trying to read or get stuff done on planes. Yeah, yeah, get just get me there kind of thing and take my mind yeah. off of it. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about is guitar heroes. And, you know, mm-hmm. all, all, all of us have guitar heroes that sometimes ones that are responsible for us picking up the, the instrument or, you know, bass or keyboards or whatever it may, may be that you're doing. Maybe even it's a paintbrush, but we have our inspirations. And for me, it was, uh, you know, and I'm going to say it in order. And a lot of people don't know this. Uh, for for me, it was uh, Ace Frehley from Kiss. Uh, I mean, phenomenal in my opinion. Was the first hero to me. Then I went to Angus Young, and then I went to Ace Frehley. Uh, sorry, Eddie Van Halen. And then, of course, it changed over the years. 
But I, I understand uh, Eric Johnson was a major part in your life. And I do hear it in your playing. Was it, When did he come into Aww. your life and what is he for you? Oh, he was the reason I picked up the guitar. Um, I, I had actually heard on the radio Clues of Dover and I asked my dad because, you know, he, he knew about those things. He worked like, the guitar player, right? And he was like, gosh, it almost sounds like Eric Johnson, but I don't think he'd be on mainstream ra- radio just because it was like, you know, do, do radio, does the radio station play like, you know, somebody who's like a, an instrumental virtuosic guitar player? Now, you know, of course there's Joe Satriani and everything, but he's like, and Steve Vai, but they were like the exceptions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when Eric Johnson... When Cliffs of Dover got well known, he was sort of, I mean, my impression is that like the people in the know, they knew his album tones and everything, but that was the thing that really got him on the map in a big way. So mm-hmm. we didn't know who it was. The radio station didn't say, and it was driving me crazy because there was no way to find out. And then um, I went, my dad took me to see uh, Joe Satriani and Eric Johnson happened to open up oh, and then boy. he closed the show and I'm like, it's that song, it's that song. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember just being overcome with what felt like just the most joyous exuberance. And I thought, wow, like ha- he must be the happiest person in the world to play like that. And then I thought, maybe he's the happiest person in the world because he can play like that. Maybe, maybe. And I thought, maybe I should learn to play the guitar, not because I thought I would ever be that serious about it or whatever, but there was just something that drew me in that moment of like, I have to play. I have to learn something mm-hmm. well sometimes you know you could look at it this way as well too that person i'm not gonna say eric and potential or in, uh, in in reference here but sometimes you could be the most unhappiest person in the world and you can play that good because of that you know right, you, you, sure. the, the emotion right 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 but exactly I, but i hear you on that because joe satriani and steve Vai had you know coming out of that you know, all the shrapnel stuff, you know, and I, I shouldn't say because not necessarily they came out of that, but that era with the Paul Gilberts and the Racer X and the Yngwie mm-hmm. Malm scenes and, uh, oh, I mean, uh, Jason Becker and all that awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there was a certain niche that was really respected by the diehard, um, you know, guitar fans, but it wasn't commercially viable enough to put on the radio long enough to, you know, to sell advertisements against. And that's what it's all about. I've worked in radio and we know we want to sell ads to make to make money, right? And mm-hmm. it's also not like today where if you're watching on your FM dial, you'll see, you know, Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson. It's on the right. display. So right. I can see your, you know, confusion. Right. Who was that? But go back mm-hmm. to your dad for a sec. Your dad was, was he the former editor at Guitar Player? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, he was. And um, he's, you know, a lot of people are very shocked or, or don't believe me when I say that he never, like, put a guitar in my hands. But I got interested in guitar actually after he had left the magazine. The magazine got bought out, and so I was I was a very young kid when he uh, stopped working there. And I think it... Uh, as kids, we don't really ask, I don't know, at least I didn't ask that much about what my parents did. It was more like, okay, you're doing that writing thing. And then when do you come home and hang with me? So I had it in my mind that my dad was a, you know, a writer. And I did kind of know that like the place was like that the stationery had like, you know, like a guitar kind of shape on it. But I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really care. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. just wanted to be a kid. And so it was when I started getting into guitar oriented music on my own that he was like, uh, sweetie, do you know that I know a little bit about this? And I'm like, really? You know, so he kind of was like, all right, you know, you're interested, like, 
in some of this more guitar oriented stuff, like check out Jeff Peck and check out, you know, Steve Morris and check out, you know, so it was more like he was happy to point me in the right direction or, you know, to look for cool guitar shows in our town and bring me to them when I was, you know, getting interested in them. I like how humble your dad is too. You know, hey, hey, darling, um, you know, I happen to know a little bit about this. I just happen to be the editor at Guitar Player Magazine. <laughs> it's a small little it's gig. Like, it's the kinds of like, like humiliations that kids put their parents through. Like, come on, you don't know this. I know. Yeah, I, do that. <laughs> I, I love it though, too, when you like, because even myself too, with my son, uh, he's, I think he's a very accomplished musician at 13, never mm-hmm. forced it on him. And because for the sole fact that, as you know, growing up as a musician, I'm sure you've had some horror stories that you'd probably like to forget about, you know, like coming home at the crazy hours of the night with gear, smelling horrible from sweating and, and going to work the next morning before you even get a shower and all the horror stories. It's not all glamour. And I didn't want that for my son, you know, like I didn't mm-hmm. like, Egh. and then when, when he chose it on his own, I'm like, okay, well, this is great. And then I think sometimes the talent comes out in spades when you're not forcing it on them Mm -hmm. yeah well I think my feeling is if such a thing as talent really does exist it's more in the form of motivation and and long-term discipline you know that I I have yet to hear of anybody who truly truly first picked up a guitar and without any prior experience or other musical training just sounded great everybody sounds terrible at first Um, but but I think that the the true love of the instrument and having a like a pure relationship with it can be huge. I think that if my parents had forced it on me or pushed me into it too much, I just would have rebelled and I would have yeah. done something else. That's right. It's so, work, right? Chores. Yeah. Yeah. So when people say, oh, I wish my parents would have pushed me or anytime I ever thought, gosh, you know, if my parents would have just kind of encouraged me to start, you know, younger or practice better, I'd be better by now. And then I think... You know, if we're okay with our present, we can't regret any part of our past. And it's like, what am I? I'm going to criticize my parents for not being stage parents. Like, nope, that's it's great that they weren't. It's great that they allowed me to develop my own relationship with music. I hear you on that. The only guest I've ever had on the show before that I think was where they've mentioned that the parents were, you know, almost like. Uh, like Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen's parents, you know, or mom, especially, you know, cracking the whip, you've mm. got to learn the piano, got to do this, but mm-hmm. even more extreme, uh, Tina Guo, you probably know her. Um, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah she's, yeah, she's phenomenal, right? Uh, but the, her parents were, you know, you know, it's, I mean, military, like you, you have to learn this instrument. And mm-hmm. fortunately she didn't rebel. You know, she, she took that discipline and, you know, she, I guess probably come to the fact that if I'm going to do this, I might as well do it good and make mom mm-hmm. and dad happy and look where she's at now. But oh I, yeah. She's amazing. Incredible. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. There's a super chat from Metalhead Hippie says, thanks bro. Hey Gretchen, everybody. So thank you very much for that. Uh, a few other comments here as well too. Mickey Settlemeyer is here. And uh, a good friend of mine is here joining the chat. And I, I wonder if you know him. I'm sure you do. Craig Rendles. Does that name sound familiar to you? Say, say again, Craig. Craig Rendles. Uh, if you don't know him, look him up. I'll send you a link to okay. his stuff later on. Okay. Uh, phenomenal. Sometimes I'm bad with names. I'm no, it's sorry. okay. He's a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, he's also, um, he did some limited run edition uh, Bones guitars with George Lynch. Him and George Lynch put the, oh. the exact, I mean, they did a limited edition, something like 10 of the Bones guitars. I mean, right down wow. to the faded tape and oh man, just absolutely incredible. But you got to see oh, him wow. play. So he has a couple comments. He says uh, he was working in a record store when Ava via Musicom was released. Amazing album. Yeah. And he says, I used to see Eric around town from time to time when I lived in Austin. So very, very cool. Obviously a fan of Eric Johnson as well. Oh, too. wow. Yeah. 
Uh, another okay. comment funneled to me from my better half through text message. Uh, uh, Chicken Guitar says, that's uh, my plan. Um, Music Your Network, Abby. Uh, let me see. Abby resents guitar at the moment, but it's because the thing that distracts mommy from me. So yeah, I could see that. So maybe the young child resents mom's into playing guitar because now I'm losing mommy's attention, right? Mm-hmm. But I think maybe down the road, while what's making mommy so happy, maybe I should look at this and and give it a yeah. try. And then all of a sudden, there you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe make it a, a game or a communication. I, I work with my nephew a little bit and uh, I was trying to do some ear training stuff with him just because he's still at that age where, you know, he really could develop an incredible ear if, if we wanted, mm-hmm. you know, if he wanted to, if we gave him the opportunity. And so I thought, okay, how do I not make this be a thing? And so we just have like a guessing game where I'm just like, okay, you play a note and I'm going to try to play the same one. Nice. And we do that at the piano and he loves it because, you know, the point is, is that I don't have perfect pitch, so I don't get it right 100% of the time. Um, and so he likes he likes seeing me. It's I think it's different because he can, we can both do the trial and error together, and he can learn from my my showing him how I figure it out too. So, so then it be, doesn't become something where I'm telling him stuff. It's a an exchange. That's right. That's very good too. And just finding your having finding your ear and finding your way on if we're talking guitar on the fretboard and mm-hmm. just realize okay, I know where that is. I can find that spot. It's right over here, right? Yeah. 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 I, I love that. It, yeah. It's, it's funny for so for so many years of playing guitar tuned down to E flat, obviously being a Van Halen guy in the eighties eighties, you yeah. know, at heart. I, I have close to perfect pitch. I can tune a guitar, no problem without a tuner, but it's always tuned to E flat. I can't, it's always when I hear, uh, uh you know, it's uh, yeah. I'm tuned to E flat all the time. It's so weird. Okay. So my story about that is the reverse, which oh. is I do not have perfect pitch. Okay. Um, I have a feeling that had I had the earlier training, I might've developed it only because I have strong pitch memory, meaning that I have the worst of both worlds. So I, um, and I, I discovered this when a drummer I was playing with just, um, suggested that we tune down to E flat and play everything in E flat that it was going to sound bigger, heavier, whatever. We tuned down to E flat and played the set list that we're used to playing. It, it messed me up so big time. I mean, so much so that I started like refingering stuff to get it back. Like I couldn't, I couldn't hear, I, I didn't accept the half step down as the new key. So right. I start, I couldn't even hear things in relation to each other. I was always hearing it back to my memory of where it should be. So it's super annoying because it's like, like if you were to tell me, Hey Gretchen, sing like, you know, an F sharp, like I might be able to do it if I could, could tap into like, okay, so immigrant song is here, but it's like, I can't just like hear the frequency and hear it the way people hear the way people perceive colors. I don't have that. Right. Right. (laughs) Do you want to hear a useless fact? This is, uh, this was not planned. This is a a tone fact. So if you're in a hotel you don't have mm-hmm. your guitar tuner. We all have guitar tuners. We have guitar tuners on our phones. But let's just say right. we're old school. We're at a okay. hotel. We're, we've got to tune up our guitars. The dial tone on the telephone is a natural F. Oh. Try well, try that great. tonight. Pick up the phone. I don't know if it, it doesn't work on a cell phone. I, gotta, I don't have a landline. Yeah, yeah. So next time you get to a landline, just say okay. Eric says it's an F. And if I'm wrong, I will I will repent and, and say I'm, I'm sorry. But it, it, back in the day, you picked up that uh, it was an F. Natural. Oh, yeah, so there you go. Interesting. Very so cool. If you don't have a reference, there you go. And I, I'm so embarrassed to even say this, such stupid things, but it's real. So there I you love go. knowing stuff like that. There you go. So a couple of good comments coming in, questions as well, too. Uh, John M says, uh, ask Gretchen to come back to Dallas. Uh, I'm sure that's probably in the work sometime. Uh, Definitely. No? Yeah. We love Dallas. Good. Trees. 
And uh, Paolo says, I'm a great fan of your husband, Daniel. Have you ever played a tour together in Europe? Not yet. Um, actually, if, if you listen carefully, you might hear him working on his album. Just we have like a small place. Yeah, he's amazing. Nice. Also, his favorite first uh, hero is Ace Freely, which most people oh, would right never on. guess. I don't know if you're familiar with his playing, but you don't hear much Ace Freely in it. Um so no, we haven't done a tour uh, in Europe. Uh, I really would like to. My hope for sure is to do that. Um, right now, he's still kind of going through the whole process of uh, getting his green card and everything. So nice. Well, we're, I, we're we're stranded here for a bit. That's okay. I I honestly I have to say like I whenever I have guests on, I try to research as much as possible, and I never have all the facts. And it's nice to learn these new, the really cool things. I don't know anything about your husband. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Like, uh, did oh, you yeah. guys meet through music sure. or? Yeah, his name is Daniele Gotardo. He's from Italy. Mm -hmm. I first found out about him because a video um, that he'd done, uh, an arrangement of the Simpsons theme, got posted to my Facebook page, and I watched it. You know, I, it's like, here, here's the thing. I don't know, I can't speak for all guitar players, but most guitar players I know, you don't need to post some video on their page of somebody who plays far better than they do. Like, right. you know... Most people aren't like, oh, hey, thanks so much. I didn't feel shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't okay. feel bad enough about myself today. So somebody posted that video, and I was like, oh, my God. I mean, whatever. It's not to say that I can't enjoy good guitar players, but it was more like, oh, really? This is what's expected of guitar players now. <laughs> so I was vaguely annoyed yep. and did and, and made a horrible assumption, which was that, oh, he's one of those technical guys who doesn't really write, he just shreds. Yeah, like so a mathematical really guitarist. I, sorry, I have a cat who... So far, I've had zero Skype interviews where a cat didn't crash it. So That's we have, okay, we've seen some of your videos as well. Okay, Come Francis on. is joining us again. Come on. Francis? Hello, Francis. Hold on, here, I'll adjust so you can, you can see Francis. There we go. Here's Francis. Hi, everybody. Oh, hello, Francis. Yeah, Thank you for joining uh, us. Yeah, there you go. Okay, now can we... <laughs> um, so, uh, so I made this stupid assumption, um, and then I started hearing from everybody that I really respected, um, like the Jason Becker people. Oh, like have you heard of this guy? His compositions are amazing. And I was like, oh, didn't know that. Interesting. Then I met him at a NAMM show very briefly, and probably terrified him because my I don't know why I just always assume like like that I'm going to get along with everybody. Yeah. And and so I like come charging up to him at this party. I'm like, oh hey, you're a badass. And he kind of looks at me like, who are you, woman? <laughs> um, oh, you off. And so I'm like, oh, I've terrified this poor guy. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I didn't mean anything. It's just, you know, a musician I respect. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, he ended up coming to one of my shows a couple of days later. And he, the, I was really intimidated because it's like, I think for most people, it isn't about how big of an audience you're playing to. It's who's in that audience. I know it could be right? two people. In, in, yeah. Oh, who is those two people? Exactly. Like if your guitar teacher when you were a kid is there, oh. that's like so much more stressful than if it's, you know, whatever, however many fans. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so he was in the audience. I was already nervous. My original project was opening for Zepparella. So I was on double duty. Oh boy. And, and then on top of that, he's got like a kind of, um, he can look kind of deadpan, okay. and I didn't know that about him. But he was standing in right, right in this place where the lights of the stage kept hitting him, and he looked so bored. And I like had this whole conversation in my mind of like, you know what, like, dude, not everybody's as good as you are, and can you, you know, you don't have to like be mad dogging me at my own show. Like, I don't know, try to 
try to have some fun or have another drink. I don't know. So I'm going through all this in my mind. And um, unbeknownst to me, that's just how he, that's just his facial expression. He was probably in love at that point, I bet (laughs) you. Yeah. Um, And we ended up first becoming like uh, for for a while, like a good year plus, just like a music buddies. He was like, Hey, I'd be happy to, you know, help you on some stuff if you wanted. Cause of course, after the show, I came up to him and, you know, said how much I respected him. And he was like, I'd be happy to show you some stuff. And so we started trading guitar lessons for English lessons. And, you know, for a year or so, we just kind of got to know each other as music buddies and friends. And then over time that developed and then we got married uh, back in June. Nice. Well, congratulations. That's a great story. And at the same time, you're learning some Italian as well too, which is great. All the profanity, yes. Yeah, all the bad words. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, and I should mention that part of the reason that we met more substantially is that a really good friend of both of us who knew um, how how much I'm I'm into like the composition stuff, you know, yeah, counterpoint, yeah. harmony, all of that. And in the realm of rock guitar, that you know, that's not super common. And so Daniele, he knew what Daniele was working on for his previous album and what I was working on with my most recent album and he was like how do you guys not know each other like you know you need to meet for real for real and so uh, Daniele is um, one of the most adept deep skilled composers of, of any instrument his, okay. his stuff and his new album is is the orchestration the composition it is so beautiful and sophisticated and innovative and the way that he blends guitar into that environment is is crazy it's it's going to be really something special. I've been fortunate to hear it in all of its different phases of um, of completion. That's nice. Is there is there is there a nice kind of competitive um, kind of a trade off between between you and your husband as far as you know like you know maybe one day you're shredding on something that's just phenomenal and he's like that's great. Other times he's doing something that makes you kind of like oh man I got to learn that. Is there is there a nice? I know you support each other and you love each other, but are there mm-hmm. some times where there's a nice creative um, you know, uh, back and forth with, with the two of you. Uh, any, any of that is akin to like, you know, like a two year old kid trying to compete with their, their like teenage, you know, like varsity, okay. you know, yeah. you know, um, so he's so beyond one of my, one of my nephew's favorite things is to be like, Gretchen, who's better at guitar, you or Daniele? And I'm always like, Daniele, without question, <laughs> like, like, He's better than everybody. Like, they're, <laughs> like I'm not ashamed to admit that. That's, That's cool. me and, you know, the vast majority of the world. But he, for some reason, he gets such a kick out of making me admit it all the time. Oh, that's cool. Um, we, we, we do play together almost every night. Um, uh, we work on stuff. I swear to him that I didn't just marry him for the guitar lessons, but it's a really <laughs> lovely thing. But one of my greatest victories, I feel like, ever like in the history of music was hearing him start using some artificial harmonic stuff that he, he hadn't used before. Cause he got that like, from you. Oh, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was taking some of the stuff from you. So I was like, okay, well I can just go ahead and feel smug for the next year or That's so. That's great. Um, so there have been a couple of times that I have maybe kind of showed him something and all the rest of it is me learning from him. That's cool. A couple of, couple of aces up your sleeve here and there. Yeah. That's a couple awesome. things, but yeah. and speaking of, I got the better end of the educational stick. That's there for sure. you go. And after the show, speaking of Ace, please say hello from another Ace fan uh, to him as well, too. I will. I yeah. will. <laughs> Before we jump away from influences, I just want to touch base on this because this is important for people as well, too. Obviously, Eric Johnson had a lot to do with um, you picking up the guitar and you loved it. Yeah. But where does a person um, draw the line between, 
you know, worshiping a guitar player and becoming a clone. Now, I, I hear Eric Johnson, uh, you know, ingredients. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna use that ingredients in your playing, but I don't hear it's a, it's not like an Eric Johnson uh, composition. You've take you got your own spin on it. You have your own name on it. You own it, but you can hear some of that flavor. How does a person, you know, take the, listen to this and hear this stuff all the time? And, I'm, and it could be anybody you're listening to, and not come out as a clone as them. That's a really good question. And I'm not sure this is the right answer, but I think for me, what it really comes down to is that I think you have to work harder to become a clone. I think it's natural for us to not become clones. I think it's natural for us to be as unique as we are, as we are inherently. Um, so I think that becoming a clone is actually requires more effort. Okay. Uh, I, I think that if you take in I think if you were to only have one musician you ever listened to, you're probably going to have, that's probably going to be reflected in your playing. But I think the more stuff you listen to and the more you expose yourself to different genres, different, even different instruments, the more that will just kind of naturally come out. Now, I think, you know, for somebody, if somebody is listening to this and is like, no way, Gretchen, you're totally full of it. Um, I think maybe the best thing that I would like if it's a problem for somebody and they're trying to break out of it, uh, I'm a big fan of coming up with like little writing assignments nice. for yourself. You know, um, I'm also a fan of using different techniques, not not for showmanship, but for creative springboarding. So a lot of times, like somebody will like I'll notice, say Steve Morse doing volume swells. I'll kind of try to learn the technique of volume swells and maybe a little bit of one of his lines, but just enough to kind of get the technique get my mind around the technique and then the way I internalize any new information is I try to write with it so I think that if you well there can certainly be a lot to be said by learning something exactly spot on note for note then what you are doing is you're learning you know um, a particular type of, of imitation ultimately we learn all languages imitatively you right, know we learn right. to speak from our parents and then hopefully that imitation becomes expression and then if we're really committed to it, then that expression can become innovation. But I, I think that expression is sort of a natural byproduct of doing something for long enough. I think we as uh, creatures who want to communicate tend to end up expressing ourselves whether we want to or not. I think innovation requires a, a great deal uh, deeper dive and more exploration and more uh, expertise probably well I shouldn't even say expertise a lot of innovators did not have a lot of expertise but they had a lot to say and sometimes luck yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and so I, I'm a fan of like it you know let's say I feel like hey I'd really like to learn some more like something heavier more metal I might turn on like some old Pantera like Dimebag Daryl's one of my favorite super heavy players nice like, um and, but instead of necessarily going through and trying to learn his licks exactly, I might just sort of take it in and then sit down with my guitar and try to remember what he was doing as opposed to actually learning it note for note and try to be like, okay, let me just innocently kind of go through and try to come up with something that reminds me of that sort of heaviness. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, big fan of writing assignments. And sometimes little writing assignments actually become songs you write. So. 
Perfect. That's a, a fantastic piece of advice. Usually we try to have little things we can work on as takeaways from the show. That's well, certainly I, one for sure, too. And especially with artists being maybe outside of what people would think would be your normal wheelhouse. I mean, l- looking mm-hmm. at you, watching you play, I wouldn't peg you as um, as a Dimebag Daryl fan. I mean, I love Dimebag Daryl yeah. as well, too. But taking some of these little nuances from some of these artists, like maybe it might mm-hmm. be a whammy bar dive uh, or, or mm-hmm. some kind of his crazy squeals he would do mm-hmm. and work that mm-hmm. into your stuff, people are going, whoa, where the heck did that come from, right? Right, you know? right. And sometimes it isn't even, um, sometimes it has nothing to do with even like the note choice or the techniques, but maybe more to do with sort of the spirit. You know, one of my favorite guitar players of all time is Django Reinhardt. And yet I haven't written any gypsy jazz. You know, I've learned one Django tune. Um, But there's something in that, that to, to me, I hear actually some similarities in the spirit of Django, of Eric Johnson, of Mozart. There's this almost giggling type of exuberance, not in everything. I mean, certainly not in Mozart's Requiem or whatever, but there is a, a to me, it hits a specific spot within my, uh, my experience and yeah. people might or might not feel that. And so maybe you're not doing the note choices. Maybe you're not doing the dive bombs, but maybe there's something in the aggression or something in the playfulness. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and you, you talked earlier about, too, how we tend to remember certain music up to a certain age, you know, that as an influential mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. I'm, sure, I'm sure you get this all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm asking you questions about your influences tonight. You do a million interviews a year about your in it. It always comes up, who are your influences? And a lot of times I think we forget when we're answering these questions. I've been asked the question, you know, who is my influences? And a lot mm-hmm. of times we forget, but it's the stuff like that our parents listen to. And, and sure. believe it or not... I probably don't say this very often, but influences that people would never would guess would be Les Paul and Mary Ford, uh, Burl Ives, uh, Chet Atkins. I mean, I can't play any of their stuff. I mean, in in defense, I've never tried it, um, Mm -hmm. but that was subjected to me. Uh, Elvis Mm -hmm. Presley, uh, you know, oh man, Dean Martin. I mean, all these different things. Frank Mm -hmm. Sinatra was another big thing for my mom. My dad didn't really listen to much music. I guess whatever mom put on, he would Mm -hmm. listen to. But really... Somewhere in the back of my mind, on a on a tape that's in the back of my mind, buried beneath, you know, in the, in the archives of the basement, mm-hmm. there's some of those influences that I'd never really uh, acknowledged. That's such a great question. That would be like, a, I'd love to know what those are for everybody because those aren't the ones you ever mention in interviews. Yeah, like exactly. For, you know, just even thinking about that, I'm like, okay, so for me, that would be like David Bowie, Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson. Um, a bunch of like ballet stuff. My mom was really into the ballet. So we saw, you know, the Nutcracker, you know, stuff like that. And, and a lot of like musicals. My mom loved old musicals. So sure. everything from like West Side Story to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, you know, where, where there was a lot of music. Uh, some of it was really fantastic. Um, and, you know, I think back to being a little tiny kid and her having me watch Hello, Dolly and like Louis Armstrong's in there with Barbara Streisand, Yeah, you know, talk about great musicians and yep. great music. Even if, even if by today's standards, a lot of people think musicals are cheesy. Some of it is so good, the writing. Um, so those were all part of my, I think, early formative non-guitar, like pre-guitar years. Yeah, exactly. I would, I'm mm-hmm. sure you, I mean, myself, I, um, I, is your mom still around? Are your parents still around? Oh, no? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so well, I don't have... Thinking. 
I don't have mine, so but um, uh. I wish I could go back and just grab that vinyl collection. I wish I, she had this thing. You just uh, open this big stand up, and there's maybe about sixty records in there. And I would give anything today to just grab the whole thing. And I mm-hmm. bet you, if I went through all of them, I'd probably put maybe four or five aside, and eh, maybe I'll take those to the Five and Dime and sell them or something, mm-hmm. you know, at the thrift store. But the rest, I'd be just enthralled with. It's all those yeah. influences that we never really. And you just you think yeah. back watching mom play them, and you're like, she's happy. And your mom was a violin player too, right? Uh, that I understand why you think that because I did smash her violin. Okay. Um, no, my mom self-admittedly played only enough violin to embarrass her older sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, she had a violin and she loved to make terrible sounds on it. Oh, and they, so, they like, can if you don't know how to play, right? Her. Yeah. What's that? They can make a terrible sound if you don't know how to play. Oh it. God, I feel like violin sounds horrible until like you're professional. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're a professional, you can make it horrible again and still you tasty. You yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember hearing like violinists, like great violinists, like warming up for recording and kind of having this moment oh, of being terrified. Yeah. You know, of like, uh-oh, uh-oh, wait, I thought these guys were good. And then being like, oh, no, they're great. That's just how the violin sounds when you're getting warmed up. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I know. It's it's one of those instruments where, okay, so uh, child, what do you want to play? Want to play some drums? You want to play some guitar? Want to play violin? You want to play piano? Let's let's think of how bad the the worst notes can possibly sound and then we're going to see what our budget is and then yeah, we'll get you yeah. that instrument. <laughs> and then you're going to say, "How about piano?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get you an electronic and we'll get you some headphones. We're all good. Yeah, exactly. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let, let's jump over to some gear. And after we talk a little bit about gear, uh, as far as the brands that you endorse, yeah. um, I think now that we're warmed up a little bit, I'll ha- I know you've got a guitar off to the side. And, I do uh, have a cat on my lap too, so we're no going to have to do we'll a little trade, bit of shuffling. That's yeah. right. Trade the cat for the guitar. And yeah. I'll have you share with us some uh, some licks that uh, you might find beneficial to some of our viewers and maybe some instruction along with that. Sure, but yeah. you've got a long list of um, great brands that you endorse. I see you playing the Music Man a lot. So, man, why don't you take us through some of the brands that are really close to your heart? I know a lot of them you've sure. worked with for many years, and that's obviously yeah. why you're working with them. They work with you. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so Music Man was my first guitar Music Man silhouette. In fact, um, the first video I ever did of my original stuff, Valentino's Victory Lap, you can see my very first guitar in it. It's a really beautiful blue burst. Nice. And... They've, the Ernie Ball company has been so kind to me and um, was good to me long before they had any reason to be. So I pledged my, in my heart, I pledged my loyalty to them from day one um, and they've been great. Uh, I've got quite a few of their guitars now, um, but this, this guy is my, my main one. So it's a Music Man Silhouette uh, special with DiMarzio single coil pickups and DiMarzio, um, also another wonderful company. They've been very good to me. Um, I have their pickups and pretty much everything. Can you lift that up a little bit acoustics. and show us? Can you lift that up a little bit and just show us a bit of the body of that guitar? Oh yeah, sure. Yes. Let's see. So here is oh, my that is beautiful, yeah. Silhouette. Yeah. Nice. Oh, here we go. What do you got at the twelfth fret there? Is that so your custom inlay? Yeah, it's a, it's a Ball Family Reserve neck. Oh, wait, let's see. Let's get that down Down here. just a little yeah. bit. They're all very yeah. beautiful. Nice. Yeah, it's a Ball Family Reserve neck, but it's on a silhouette body. They they sent this to me right after um, my video of Valentino's Victory Lap, and they're like, wow, that's an old model. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess this one is a little bit unique. And I didn't even know this until recently, that it was sort of put together quickly with what they had at the factory. But to me, they sort of hit a magical combination. So I've... Um, I have other ones too that I really like. I have a cut list that's great, but you know, sometimes you just have one that 
like Frank Zappa said, if you pick up a guitar and it says, take me, I'm yours, that's the guitar for you. That's like, right. That's right. That still feels like, like home. I, the other ones are great too. I do use them, but, um, can I have you tilt your camera on just a little bit this way towards you, towards oh. your uh, chin a little bit? There you go. Perfect. Gotcha. Okay. Just a little bit better. There, there we that's go. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. As I don't our, want to see Francis better. Come on. That's She's right. Cute than I am. <laughs> As I was showing, I'll show our fans off the uh, that I was showing you off the air. This I had dug this picture out just to show you because mm-hmm. I used to work at a music store and um, you know things would come in on trade all the time. I come back in from delivering a PA somewhere. And I saw a Music Man case, you know, and you recognize those molded cases right away. I saw it on mm-hmm. the on the de- on the the counter, and I'm like, okay, whatever it is, I want it. And it turned out to be this. It was a I'll try to show it to the audience here. Where is it? Right there, right where mm-hmm. my finger is, right there. Uh, red Music Man Silhouette Special. Now that'd be mm-hmm. a humbucker single, single hardtail. And next, mm-hmm. and, and actually, I still have that guitar, which is no longer striped, and I have the guitar that's in that little trophy case right there. Cool. Uh, but I, I mean, I absolutely love that guitar. I love the scale on it. It had like the uh, noiseless pickups and they were stock pickups, but they're the noiseless ones here, act, nine volt active, whatever. Yeah. And I miss that guitar to death, but um, I love, I love the Ernie Ball. And I, I missed out when Ernie Ball was doing the, the Eddie Van Halen signature model. I was going to ask if you had one of those. No, no, I missed that boat. I've had every signature guitar post that. You know, uh-huh. so I missed out on that, but um, I, I watch you play that guitar. I mean, just it seems like it's a really special instrument for you. The way you connect with it. Oh, that's really sweet to say. Um, I I do love this guitar a lot. I mean, I'm not overly precious about my instruments. You know, I'm not like a don't look at it, don't point at it. Yeah, like Nigel. You know? um, but um, but there are a few that have you know a lot of significance to me. Um, this is one of them for sure. Great. A good comment here, I just want to read as well, too, because this is very true from our friend Paul Terrio. It says, you become a great player by having great players and friends around you, helping each other grow. I know for mm-hmm. some of you in here and on the screen right now have inspired me in some way. That's great. That's all that matters is inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just a matter of like, you know, uh, if you get in a rut, you pick your buddy up, you know, mm-hmm. and pick yep. pick him up. And then that they're going to come back and pick you up one day when you're feeling down in the dumps about your playing, right? Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, one, one of the... One of the things I did not expect, like with, with Daniele, because I, you know, initially I was so intimidated by him, you know, after enough, after living with somebody, you, you, you can't maintain that level of intimidation all the time. And he's actually been one of my greatest uh, sounding boards after shows, because like a lot of guitar players, I get off stage and all I can think about is what I didn't do well, what mm-hmm. I messed up, what I'm embarrassed about, how my trio is probably going to fire me from my own project, you know, all of that stuff that 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 goes through your mind, you know, as much as I try not to succumb to that kind of negative thinking, what's been incredibly helpful is, uh, is, is how much he can kind of put things in perspective, you know? And a lot of times he'll be like, no, 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 actually that was fine. That was fine. But then he'll be able to like, give me a pointer on something that totally would have escaped my notice. Something like, Hey, maybe you should interact with your bass player more. And I'm like, really, you're not going to just like divorce me for that note that I bent sharp like (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah it's great to have friends and camaraderie and and that kind of community you know I I think that I feel like there's there's a lot of that now I mean I think that with social media being able to connect people from different countries you know it's like in most cases you're one direct message away from you know just about anybody right I I mean I don't know if Jimmy Page is checking his dms but um (laughs) 
but but a lot of people I'd consider my heroes. It's like they're right there on social media. Like you know, they'll talk to you That's in a right. lot of cases. And you know, not to say that you overstep or monopolize them, but but you really can. Um, there, there's so much you can learn, not just album to album, but day to day. You know, people like Andy Timmons or Greg Howe will will post videos of like, "Hey, I'm just practicing." I know. Like, isn't that amazing? We get that. Yeah. I know. I, I watch, I've had Alex Skolnick on the show recently and I'm watching yeah. a lot of the little snippets he does and it's just like sitting on his couch and, and you know, and he's just having, he's warming up, having a coffee for the morning or whatever and just like, oh, you know, and it's, it is so inspiring. It's yeah. natural, you know, wakes up with bedhead, you know, the, whatever, uh-huh. you, you know, and just him, just him rock yeah. and roll is great. But you know, the thing is, some of these people, like the, the music, the audience that comes out to watch the artist, whether it be you or whoever, so they're, they're judging the artist, but really what they don't realize is the artist is judging themselves, scrutinizing themselves tenfold more so than what the audience is because they want to deliver the best performance. And I like oh, what yeah. you said about getting off the stage and like, okay, how did I do what I do, blah, blah, blah. And I've always said this, and this is something if I can give one piece of advice to musicians that are out there performing, whether they're inexperienced uh, you know, or, or veterans, I don't have to say it to the veterans because they know this, but especially the inexperienced players, you know, when you when you really beat yourself up thinking that was the worst set we ever did, videotape everything you do. I mean, when I say videotape, we don't videotape anymore. Record your shows. Um, and you'll watch back, and that moment where you think you messed up horribly, you watch it back, it's probably, it either will be as bad or worse than what it is, but the chances are it's not. It's probably pretty good. And the things where maybe you thought you were on fire, maybe you weren't, and you can really, really learn from that. But don't mm-hmm. beat yourself up over that bad note that you might have hit one note thinking it was, you know, the end of the whole set. Because there's right. so many more magical moments. Because you're just trying to deliver for the audience. And you're really judging yourself, too. It's a good point. And I feel like something that I really had to come to terms with was the idea that, that practice mindset and performance mindset must be different. Um, practice is when you let that internal critic go nuts in order to help you grow. You know, that's mm-hmm. when you do say, wait, could I play that better? Ah, wait, hold on, those notes ran together. Oh, wait a minute, the, you know, like that vibrato is not so good. You know, whatever whatever it is you're working on, that's that's when you should cultivate and focus your, your inner critic. But in performance, I feel like I've learned as many positive as negative lessons from some of my heroes, because I saw one of my heroes absolutely like pout their way through a set because something I don't I didn't even know what was going on but Mm -hmm. clearly this person wasn't happy with the way things were happening on stage but had they not shown that in their demeanor nobody would have noticed right and in fact what bummed me out so much is I was like can you just rally we're having a great time we love you Mm -hmm. like I, nobody cares if you made a mistake. Can you just like not be so like this person like imploded on stage oh, and no. was like so in the set, the cesspool of self-loathing that I was like, you know what? I'm going to remember this because sometimes it's easy to think that like somehow beating yourself up is atonement for a performance that wasn't up to your own standards. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, actually it isn't. Um, atonement for making mistakes or whatever is to not let it, ruin the rest of your performance is to give everything you have on stage and just say the best I can do tonight. Great. I got in my head. Great. I was super nervous. Great. My gear messed up. Great. I, you know, should have practiced that section more diligently, but those, those are things that it's like, okay, take those, make a mental note, you know, 
fix them next time, but don't, don't have a tantrum on stage, you know, a quiet tantrum or a loud one, just respect the people who took time out of their schedules and money out of their wallets to be there and just do your best. That's right. We're all humans. You go live, life throws a curve. It's it throws us every day and that's what we just have to, how we're going to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Music. I feel like anything as, like music will will make you confront so many important life lessons you know not just it's not just about the instrument it's about like being a, a better more well-adjusted person yeah. in so many cases incredible advice for sure um here's one question before this can be the last question yeah. i'm going to ask you because i want i want to mm-hmm. hear some great guitar playing here so metalhead hippie asks a very loaded question yeah. uh he says who is gretchen's favorite youtube guitarist now this could be you know maybe someone that's just you know on the up and coming mm. maybe it's someone that you like and and you know you could even go a couple if you want so you're not sending anybody out but is there someone that you're just watching maybe like wow this this young guy or girl has really got some chops gosh uh i have to preface it by saying I should do, well, I don't, whether I should or shouldn't, I don't do a lot of watching of YouTube guitarists. Okay. Um, That's fair. Not because, not because I'm boycotting YouTube or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but mostly because I just, there are only so many hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, if I'm not working on music, practicing, playing, you know, it's like I'm returning emails, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get back to people. There's just, like you said, there's a lot of hats you have to wear. Yes. Um, And even then, it's like my to-do list is just, you know, I feel like I'm barely keeping up, right? More so than what the hours are in a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can say um, on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, Courtney Swikert, I actually don't even know if I'm saying her last name right. Um, She's not on YouTube, but I met her on Instagram and she's just a magical creature. I've, I've, I've actually met her in person a couple of times when I played in Pennsylvania and she just sat in on a show with me too. And she's just very soulful, beautiful tone, you know, really just plays from the heart. Um, and is a, a lovely person. I, uh, we've, we've since become friends and, Everything she does, I think, is just absolutely magical. Well, that's a fair answer because even though you said Instagram, I think that when when he asked the question, you know, YouTube and, yeah. and social media in general will right. say, so that's awesome, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, too. Now we're all connected and and uh, we get to see some of the best from around the world and it's and yeah. daily, daily, daily. So that's fantastic. But listen, yeah. I, I know uh, people are dying just as, as much as I am. I want to turn it over if you want to excuse your uh, your uh, first My cat? Bet. Yep. We'll and see if she'll let us do it, right? Trade her in for the guitar. Do you think she'll let you okay, do it? Okay, let's try it. Let's try it. I'm going to move right. the coffee table, and we're going to see if Francis, you're going to see my... Francis is going to be mad at you. Cat. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Come on, baby. Go By the way, is that here. a Nigel Tufnell shirt? It is. Awesome. I, I was wondering if you would notice. I noticed. After you're talking about uh, Derek Falls, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Love it. Um, okay, let's see if we can do this. We'll keep my ear, earphones in. Hold on. All right. So I wasn't really sure what what to what to show you. And, and you may so have I to embellish. Well, you may have to embellish a neck and kind of raise. Uh, may, might be a bit out of your comfort zone, but yeah, there you go. You just raise a neck a little bit. I can move it back a little yeah. bit. How about that? Okay, is that too loud? Nope. Okay, so this is my little Roland micro cube. So I thought I would. Um, Maybe just show a couple of things that weren't maybe obvious and maybe stuff that was maybe newer or just interesting for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So one of the riffs I was going to show you is from Scrap Metal, which is the first tune on my first record. And um, if you if you think of – I got this idea 
from Steve Morris, who's also one of my biggest heroes, most enduring heroes. And in one of his tunes called Simple Simon, which I don't, I didn't learn it. But what he does is he shows that he's juxtaposing chord accents against like a moving bass line. And so I took these chord accents, just like a kind of a G power chord to like this uh, G augmented. So G, B, D sharp. And so, and then that, that moves up half a step. So against a uh, moving bass line, let's see if I can separate it. So. So that kind of bass line and putting together to be. So put, kind of doing that hybrid type mm -hmm. of line. It kind of reminds um, me of trying to run up and or run uh, run up a down escalator. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I try to mute those low strings a little bit more. I'm not usually playing something this heavy through the little amp, but. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's something that I think I haven't ever really taught before, but it's just like one of my heavier riffs. And I like so that. The, the, the takeaway that I would say. It's fun to do because I've done that in a few different places is working on these hybrid lines of trying to take two different ideas and seeing then if you can put them together as one idea. Because a lot of times you can't. Yeah. You know, a lot of times like, you know, uh, like the Jimmy Page stuff, like Misty Mountain Hop. So this is going to be the, the wrong tone for it. But... Totally easy to play as double stops, right? right? But most of the time, people will just pick one line because, I mean, that's what Jimmy did live. It makes yeah. sense that they would, right? Um, but the point is, is like you can play both parts, and it's not hard to play both parts. So um, sometimes seeing if you can do that uh, extracurricular stuff will just open up new creative doors. Exactly. Well, mm -hmm. something else I noticed too about you, maybe this is something uh, I didn't uh, have this planned for you, but I mentioned to you off the air, uh, and this was a question I was going to get to in a little bit, was the fact that your um, your pick your your picking hand is very precise yet very relaxed, and a lot of us go wrong as as we grow up trying to get the speed and the the accuracy, and your hand is very relaxed. And I saw a couple things that you've done on your on your Facebook page, uh, especially where you've showed some alternate picking. And where you you just keep that relaxed, and I think that's where a lot of us go wrong. Is there any examples you can give us of some alternate picking? Um, yeah, a little. Let me see. Um, the beginning. Okay, so you were talking about. Sorry, I'm kind of trying to keep it so you can see my yeah. my hand. Yeah. Um, you're talking about stuff that is often like a go to thing for you. Um, alternate picking that it, like one note per string mm -hmm. stuff can be. I've got my headphone cord right here. Sorry. Yeah, it's tricky. Uh, it's right where I need to be. I know. Like this and see if that's yeah, perfect. So. There you go. So that kind of thing is um, really good for your alternate picking, and it's great to do slowly, too. That's like the beginning of Valentino's Victory Lap, and just um, trying to, to keep that that balance between articulation and legato, like like legato, but not too legato, and you know a punchiness and balancing the up and down stroke tone and all mm -hmm. of, you know 
it's um it's less impressive sounding than it is quite difficult. So sometimes you're like, why did I do that to myself? But it's like, hey, if your muse is demanded, you do it. That's so, right. Um, so that would be like the beginning of Valentino's victory lap. Or, or there's a line um, in Oleo Strut that, that I consider an evil line. So, wait. Nice. Um, that one is like... <laughs> so unforgiving and so uh you you really have to be on it with the alternate picking so those are ones i wrote years ago and i practice them all the time like just is as like warm-ups um or just keep them you know just maintaining you know maintaining and hopefully getting better are there any um this sounds silly but it's not silly whatsoever are there any mm-hmm. hand exercises stretching exercises that you go through on a on a kind of a routine to keep your hands shaped like i'm getting i'm i'm 50 this year 51 and i'm starting to feel like which is like a carpal tunnel because i'm on the computer all day uh, long uh, and that's affecting the picking hand tremendously anything yeah. uh, advice you can have on that um okay yeah i would i would say there are a couple of stretches that i do and there are some people who do like a whole round of guitar stretches and i tend to go kind of just more gently and more intuitively so i don't have like a regimen okay. maybe i should but um there are a couple things that i do i mean so all of our nerves start from our cervical spine, right? And then come down mm-hmm. right here. So a lot of times carpal tunnel problems, sometimes it's right here, but a lot of times it starts up higher. And that's why people will think like that it's just from a guitar. But but like you said, I think a lot of times it's from things like computer or the combination Posture. of things. So um, a stretch that I love, and it's kind of maybe hard to, to show, it's um, if you do yoga at all, it's the arms of something called eagle pose. So what you do is you take your arms and you cross them above the elbow. Everybody's going to be like, there's no way my body does this. But, <laughs> but it does work. I've, I've seen people who are not flexible do it. So you cross above the elbow, and then you take your arm that's underneath and go straight up. And then this arm goes around like this. And, you know, you don't have – I mean, I have skinny arms, so it's easy for me to do sure. it. But, um, but even if you're more muscular than I am, the point is, is that you kind of lock these in and then if you push down, you get an incredible stretch right between your shoulders. Okay. Um, and if you push up, then it just sort of changes the position of the stretch. And that can be a really, really helpful one. And then you do it the other way too. So crossing on the other side and stretching that way. And clearly I needed to do this today because I feel like holding that longer. You can, you can um, feel another like one that. that's good is, um, so if you're talking about like carpal tunnel, like these nerves mm-hmm. here, um, a lot of times also that that can come from sort of like your your pec region okay. can get really tight, especially because as guitar players, we're sort of hunched forward um, on the computer. Like nobody sits with great posture, right? So right. it's more more likely that you need to do things that kind of open up this area. Um, and a really easy way is just to kind of get in a doorway and have your, um, your arm just up like this and then um, put this against like the wall mm-hmm. and just lean forward. If you can get the right width of doorway and do it on both sides, that's great. But um, just leaning forward can just get incredible stretch through here. And then if you also want to go up against a wall, put your hand flat against it and then gently turn. Um, even, oh, here's Ferdinand. <laughs> uh, um, then you'll almost feel this kind of nervy stretch all the way through your fingers. So, you know, anytime you're stretching, being really careful with it. Um, the other thing, and I'm sure that, you know, the George Lynch would probably, you know, 
say otherwise, John Petrucci, Nita Strauss, those like majorly fit, like super ripped, badass guitar players. That's amazing. I've always been scared to go too hardcore mm -hmm. with the working. I think it's important to stay healthy. I do like yoga and some resistance training, but I'm always like, whatever is going to not hurt me. So my goal with working out is to not hurt myself right. and to stay healthy. Um, so I don't have a lot of experience of like lifting heavy weights or training really hard. I think that, that staying, I think there's an important balance of finding, you know, staying healthy enough, keeping your body healthy enough to do the, um, you know, to have that good physical connection. You need your body to play guitar, but, um, but not pushing yourself to the point where you're getting injured. So, yeah. um, if you are going to go hard into the like weight training and bodybuilding, like making sure you've got, um, a, a really, you know, invest in a personal trainer, invest in somebody who really knows and preferably somebody who also understands musician yeah. issues. So, um, but then, okay. In terms of your carpal tunnel stuff, mm -hmm. um, if you've ever had like really deep massage or whatever through here, mm -hmm. it helps enormously. In fact, a lot of times people think something's wrong with me because I'm just kind of always like loosening these muscles okay. if I can. Um, I recommend um, taking something like uh, like a glucosamine supplement. Um, okay. It's good for like joints, tendons, connective tissue. I take turmeric daily, which is a oh, good yeah, anti-inflammatory. Oh, yeah. We know about that. We know about that. Okay, yep. good. Um it sounds kind of crazy, but I try to make sure I get enough sleep. You know, our bodies need enough sleep to repair the damage of the day, mm -hmm. you know? And I think for some people, they're like lucky to get six hours. Like I aim for eight hours. Yeah, for sure. that's, that's good. That's so, nice. Yeah. And then um, just really listening to your body. I take, um, I set an alarm every half hour mm -hmm. so that I get up and make a cup of tea every half hour. And I might take a break of just a couple minutes on the half hour. But generally speaking, if I, okay, I'll do that, maybe go for an hour of practice and then I'll walk away and I'll take a longer break, you know, return some emails or hopefully do something maybe a little bit more active so that I'm actually up and moving. Circulation. Um, yeah. And then really the most, then I would do the same thing again after a little bit more extensive of a break, but I don't, I don't play for longer generally than two focused hours. And I try to make sure that my, it doesn't mean that I don't have fun when I practice, but right. I try to make sure that my practice time, that I'm spending it um, mindfully so that I'm not putting miles on my hands playing the wrong thing, you know, gotcha. that I'm trying to use good technique. That's something that I feel like I learned a lot from classical guitar is you can, you can have, you know, sometimes, sometimes I get crap about using stretchy chords every now and then it's like somebody will see me playing, you know, a piece of music like, um, and there's a section that, um, not the right tone for it, but you get the, uh, yeah. And people will see chords like this and it's like it gives them a heart attack and they think <laughs> I'm just being a jerk. They're like, look at that like jerky chord she's playing. Yep. Um, and, and the point is not, you know, anybody who's playing chords to like make a, I don't know, for acrobatic purposes, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, does anybody really do that? Um, the idea and the, the way you can play these chords without it being a problem and without even realizing that it's going to upset people is... Um, is just being very careful about hand position. So a lot of my left hand position, mm -hmm. let me see if you can see, it comes from classical guitar. So it's like, I, I don't, I mean, sometimes no, there's no a Jimmy time Hendrix and place for the, the Hendrixy thing, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't collapse this way. 
you know, um, I don't, I don't even know what some people do, but the way that my classical guitar teacher always taught me was that you kind of want your thumb in line with your second finger. There you go. And, and, then, and then if you do that, I mean, I've got really little hands and skinny fingers, so reaches always look more impressive for me. But it really means that you can do very big stretches even sure. quite comfortably. Um, and um, But anytime I'm doing stuff like that, even if it feels comfortable, I make sure not to overdo it. I try not to do any one particular technique. I try not to overuse muscles. So, yep. you know, it's just like why standing is harder than walking. You know, it's more or more fatiguing than walking. Um, it's the overuse of muscles. So it's so that's why for me setting a timer every half an hour means that even if I'm getting really absorbed in what I'm doing, that I have to take a little break before I come back and I have to check in with my body and be like, wait, should I do more of this or maybe yeah. I should do, you know, something else? Like you said, um, you're listening to your body and if your hand is starting to ache, all of a sudden, okay, I, I could cause some damage here if I don't uh, right. maybe a shift here a little bit. Exactly. In fact, I, I did get a little bit of soreness in here mm -hmm. from a thing. Um, I can tell you exactly what it is. In fact, let me move this back. Um, this is another thing that might be kind of fun to learn. It's um, This is where a technique can become a creative springboard. So it's like I'd seen, I guess it was Steve Morris. Uh, yeah, Steve Morris, his song is uh, Country Colors off um, High Tension Wires, which for any guitar player, that's one of the most perfect guitar albums of all time. Uh, you don't have to be a guitar player for anybody. Yeah. It's a beautiful album. Um, so, and what he does is he juxtaposes um, artificial harmonics with plucked notes with the third finger. I love that. So, It should be a cleaner tone, but... And then I put in a little pinky sweep. So what specifically kind of got me um, a little sore in here was this chord. I can see it right there. Yeah. And I didn't realize it because, you know, you get all involved in what you're doing and you're like, oh, it sounds pretty. I need to get this under my fingers. And then, you know... You just have to remind yourself to stop and, you know, not not overstretch, not over, yep. you know, not carry tension too much. So I could see that right there. I could almost feel it through the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay now, but yeah. but it meant a little bit of me, you know, taking a break, not doing not doing too many stretchy chords, <laughs> or That's at least right. not too much stretching between these two fingers. Yeah, so, true, true. Yeah. It's one thing if you're going to be the Jimi Hendrix guy and reach over that thumb to actually thumb a chord, or yeah. if you want to re have that reach, you just can't do that. Yeah. The thumb's got to be buried at the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We have yeah. a comment here, and just before we wrap up, this is a really good comment from uh, Philip. He says, you have to have Gretchen on again sometime, like real soon. And I told Aww. Gretchen, I said, um, uh, off the air, I said, uh, you know, I, I'll know if it's a good show if we don't get through half of the questions that we had for you. And that's the case. We didn't get through half of them, which is awesome. So come uh, spring or early summer next year, I'll invite you to come back on again if you'd love to. I'd love uh, to. You were so right. I was like, oh, my God, are we really at 90 minutes I already? I know. Like it goes fast. But before we go, though, this is very important. I, I would feel criminal if I didn't ask this. You have a brand new solo album coming soon, and I'm really excited about your third technical. I mean, you've got a lot of different projects you're working on, but the third solo album. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it, what we can expect from that, and when we might get a chance uh, sure. to, to get it. Um, okay, well, actually, I heard little bits of it right uh, just now. Um, the harmonic thing uh, is a piece called Venice. Nice. And the the stretchy chord thing, uh, the other stretchy chord thing, is a piece called Burst Rivette. And the album is um, a contrast to my previous album. So my second album is called Abandon All Hope, and it's a concept album based on Dante's Inferno. 
Okay. And, um, and in that, you know, just in thinking about tackling a subject so big, you know, you talk about disparate influences, you know, I started thinking about what I, what are some of the most effective pieces of conceptual work for me. And I was, I, so I was listening to the Rite of Spring, you know, Stravinsky and, uh, um, you know, just various, you know, some Pink Floyd, um, as well, obviously Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, but just concept albums that I really liked. And and so to me, something like Dante's Inferno requires a level of just, just textures and orchestration. And so I have string quartet, I have piano, I have organ, I have my sister do, who's trained in opera doing this angelic soprano stuff, you nice. know, along with like rock trio. That was a really incredible learning experience, but, but I always assumed it would just sort of be a studio project because who like I don't have the money to rehearse the you know that many musicians and I don't have um the desire to marginalize the other instruments by relegating them to backing tracks so it doesn't mean that I'm just not going to do it at all but it means that um that right now it's not in the card so I thought well what if I take what if I take some of what I've learned compositionally and see how much I can get out of just my own instrument nice and then that became um, and, and so it became the concept of uh, writing about places that have been um, formative or important okay. for me. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's a concept of, you know, whatever, tale of 10 cities, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, uh, so, and it'll be just pieces for solo guitar. Okay. Yeah. And, and when do you think it'll be available for us to grab? Oh, I really hope soon. It's uh, I keep I thought it was going to be done this year, but I haven't even finished composing it. Some pieces are finished, and so, some, some I've maybe even been early, first, first quarter of two thousand twenty, maybe, or maybe a little later. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say se- the second part okay. of twenty twenty. I mean, if I had nothing else I had to do, I would love to dive in. But it's just uh, it'll be probably, ready when it's ready. When it's yeah, ready, it, yeah. I'd you know I feel like if if. Uh, quality or time are the variables mm-hmm. I'll, I'll extend time in order to keep the quality that i no, want that's that's perfect it's very well said it'll be ready when it's ready for sure we'll look forward to it i, I i'm sure we can mm-hmm. safely say we'll see it in 2020 for sure yes that's yes. awesome and anyway, i sure hope <laughs> here, here's a funny way to end the show scott connor our friend says abandon all hope is what people say when i sing <laughs> <laughs> me too and that's why i don't <laughs> you don't sing no, no, no. It was funny. Like Jennifer and I were talking about that. It's like so many like, you know, for female guitar players, it's always like, why don't you sing? But like for male guitar players, it's like, why are you singing, dude? <laughs> yeah. Well, when you can play no. really good, you don't have but, to. I mean, it's nice if you can, but when, yeah. you, if, when you can speak through your instrument, sometimes that's better than a vocal. It is, in my opinion, a lot of times better than a vocal. If, if I sounded the way in my mind I would like to sound as a singer, I would be singing. Yeah. Uh, what I can aspire to do is to, to play one instrument to the best of my ability. So. That's right. And that, that's yeah. challenging enough, right? Yeah. It is. That takes I, enough I work. I love instrumental music. That's I think right. it uh, leaves a lot of room for the imagination. From our own Butterfly and Ladybug here, she says, thanks so much, Gretchen. Eric Osterman, if you have a rock and weekend, stay safe and noodle on. Listen, I had a fantastic time. I knew this was going to be good because I was writing the uh, last-minute um, changes to the itinerary today. I knew it was going to be a fun show. Uh, you're a bundle of joy to talk to. Uh, obviously, a, a massive talent. And I'll, again, I'll extend the invitation to come on whenever you want. We'll talk about the new record and all that good stuff. But we'll say goodbye to you off the air here in a moment. But thank you very, very much for uh, warming up the weekend for our friends and fans here on uh, Music Gear Network. We had a great time with you. It's uh, been a real pleasure. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honor and a delight to chat with you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so very much. So listen, I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Okay. And everyone, have a fantastic weekend. Be safe and warm out there. And we will talk to you very, very soon right here on Music Gear Network. And until then, cheers.